Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. You know, I almost didn't get a podcast episode out this week, but I was saved at the last minute when Jack Andrews called me up with a suggestion of this interview that I have today with Alex. So if you have people that you think I should be interviewing, will you please let me know? I'm looking for new interviews and new content and I'm looking for you to help me. Also, I'm looking for an expert that has sailed across the Atlantic several times, primarily into the Mediterranean, so going through the Straits of Gibraltar. If you know of anybody that has done that, or somebody that's written a book on that topic, will you have them get a hold of me? Or you can put the two of us together. I'd appreciate it. Introduction is going to be fairly short. I just have a couple letters I want to go over. One's from David Israel. He said, basically heading for a week in the Saronics in two months with a bunch of guys. Enjoy listening to your podcast. Hey, thanks, David. I appreciate you letting me know. And the other one was from Charlie Oliver. He said, Franz, I raced the Caribbean 600 with Andy and Paul Exner on Isborne. Never been in a multi-day ocean race before. What an awesome experience. Sadly, we had to retire with a broken rudder bearing. But the experience, adventure was top-notch. In any case, the start was just like a race start on Lake Dillon, only everything was a lot bigger. We had a great time battling with the Sirens Tigress for second place until we had to retire. You can get the story on the 59 North podcast, so I guess Andy Shell's talking about that in his podcast, which is a great podcast. If you're not listening to it, I recommend it. And I can't say enough about Paul Exner. Great guy, great skipper, and now a good friend. We connected on multiple levels, and I look forward to staying in touch with him. He has a long and celebrated racing history, as well as being at the top of his game in regards to adventure charters. And so it might be worth considering for an interview, even though he's not in the meds. So, Charlie, thanks. I'll try to reach out to him. I don't know if I can get any contact information. If you have some contact information on him, let me know. Then he goes on to say, Michelle and I have booked our Croatia charter May 21st to 30th. As I mentioned, we are going with two other couples from Dillon Yacht Club. One of the couples has been there before. We'll be charting with a sun sail out of Split. And so we'll be likely heading up the Dalmatian coast. But if you've got a few minutes, I'd like to give you a call and chat about it. Yeah, Charlie, feel free to give me a call. If you're, if you're going out of Split, so if you're heading out of Split, I'd probably head over to the islands of... Sulta, there's a couple of nice anchorages on the northwest part of that island. And then Brock, on Brock, on the northwest part of that island, there's oh, some very, very nice anchorages on that part. Now, those are the, that's the only place I've been on Brock, is that part of the island. But then you've also got Havar, so at that point in time, you're heading south. But if you're gone for a couple weeks, you might have the opportunity of, of both visiting Havar, Brock, Sulta, now, I haven't been out to the island of Vis, so I don't know anything about that. But then the other way you might go is go up to Sibenik. 
and then go up the river, which is a spectacular trip up the river to um, the Kirka Falls. I really enjoyed doing that. You might be able to go all the way up to Sibinik and go up to Kirka Falls and then come down and, and work your way back down through these islands. I know when I was in Brock, uh, I was getting some fuel at the fuel dock there, and there was a big, long line. It happened to be, I think it was a Friday, uh, at the fuel dock, there was a big, long line of boats filling up the fuel because they had to take their charters back the next day. And I think they filled up the fuel in Brock, the island of Brock, and then sailed over to Split to turn in their boats. So heads up, give yourself time to fill up fuel before you return the charter boat. All right, that's it. My quick advertisement. If you are studying for the ASA 101, 103, or 104, I have a series of audio lessons that are available for you at the website, medsailor.com. I think each one of them is $29.99. They are an audio download. I prefer you buy them through Gumroad because I make a little more money that way. But you can also find them in iTunes and on Amazon as well. I think they're very beneficial if you're studying for those examinations. I try to pepper my lessons with personal experiences that drive home the subject of the lesson. So with that out of the way, let's get on to my interview with Alex. Hello. Hello. Alex. Good evening, Franz. How are you? Good. How are good, you? good evening for me, not good evening for you, of course. <laughs> <laughs> are you, uh, I'm, is it, I'm sorry to have to talk to you so late. Is it okay to, to do an interview? Oh, don't worry at all. You see, yacht brokers, they work all around the clock. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. I got to get some voice levels on you. Give, talk to me for a few minutes and let me get some voice levels here. Do you want me to say anything in particular? Uh, tell me about what the weather's like right now. Well, uh, it's very wet, unfortunately, uh, very windy, and uh, we can't enjoy the beautiful Greek Sea. All right, that's that's enough for me. That's all I needed. Okay, that's good. All right, <laughs> okay. I got to turn mine down just a little. No, I think I'm okay. All right. Okay. I have to say, I was taking a look at Med Sailor, and I've been quite impressed, huh? <laughs> well, I've sailed in Greece for the last 10 years, Greece and Turkey for the last 10 years, so I've been a lot of places over there. But, uh, but uh, let me just start, and I'll get to know you while we're talking in the interview. That's probably the easiest thing. That way we don't cover the same material twice. Sure. Okay, sure. I'll start it out. A couple days ago, my buddy Jack Andrews called me up and he said, Franz, I've got somebody you might want to talk to. I'm in the process of buying a boat in the Mediterranean and I'm dealing with Alex. And he seems to be very knowledgeable about you know, the Mediterranean scene and where to buy boats and also about VAT. So I reached out to Alex and Alex is with me direct from Athens, Greece. Is that where you're at right now, Alex? Athens, Greece, indeed, yes. All right, Alex, tell me a little bit about your company, about your background, and what, and what your company does. Well, uh, my name is Alex Shidiak. I've been for uh, a long six years now. I started working for a company who specialized in uh, the sales of former charter vessels, which uh, moved on to me opening my own management company, Marsico. Then I re-entered yacht brokerage through uh, Artisan Yacht Sales, which I am a partner of and I represent in Greece today. 
I was, uh, as you said, introduced to you through uh, Jack, who came into contact with me. And as I told you before, I, I was quite, quite enthusiastic about this interview after taking a look at Med Sailor. I am quite impressed. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Now, you are specializing. Do you specialize in, in taking charter boats that are coming off charter and then placing them with uh, willing buyers? Is that what your company specializes in? We work with charter boats also, but not exclusively with charter boats. There is a big difference in terms of what boats you see when you're looking at a charter or a private boat. It's a completely different market, and there, there are very few brokers which deal in both departments. What would be the advantage of one versus the other? Well, it, it all comes... I, I don't think you can, you can start by comparing general charter boats. It all comes to starting from the basis of buying a, a sailing boat in the Med. In the beginning, it, a buyer would think of what to buy, which would be definitely within the size that he has in mind. And then comes the question of the age of the boat. Now, when you take in mind the age of the boat that you're going to purchase, in my opinion, it's crucial to consider if this vessel will be a privately owned boat or a charter boat. Usually what I advise to my clients is that a limit of 15-year-old, 10 to 15-year-old boats would be recommended as a purchase for a charter vessel. In the private boats, since they're usually, uh, they can be very well maintained, they can be very badly maintained. Uh, so I, I usually say that there's an unlimited age to what you can buy as a private boat. I'll give you an example. I had a client who was coming from France and he bought, he wanted to buy a Bavaria. He wanted to buy a 50-foot Bavaria to change from his 34 Moody. His Moody was an 80s Moody, always privately owned. He's owned it for uh, seven or eight years. Uh, Alex, well, he was Alex, Alex. Happy seeing that he. Yes. You're you're broken up a little bit with Skype. Are oh. you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. I can. Okay. Uh, are you on a landline or are you? On, am I calling you on your cell phone? No, no, I'm on a landline. Okay, because we broke up there for a little bit, um, and also I didn't get your when you when you gave your name it broke up too. So Skype's being a little difficult right now. Um, let's um, let's just continue on. Uh, start the process over where you were talking about the the man that wanted to trade in his Moody, and I'll just try to edit the uh, the content because you're breaking you were breaking in and out there. Sometimes it's really good, sometimes it's not so good. So we'll no try. problem. Okay. No. So, okay, so uh, basically we had a client who uh, had bought a Moody from us, and the Moody was privately privately owned since brand new, 1984 if I'm not mistaken. And he told me, well, Alex, I want to look at a bigger boat, preferably a Bavaria 50, because it's in my budget. So uh, he came to Greece, and uh, he took a look at a few Bavarias. And after he finished looking at the Charter Bavarias, he told me, to be perfectly honest with you, I have a 1984 boat, and uh, I consider these 2002-2003 Bavarias older than my 1984 boat. <laughs> and why was that? Was it because of the quality of construction then? 
quality of construction, I think, depends on how you how you use a boat. I mean, if you have a uh, terribly constructed vessel, I, I don't want to name any brands, but anything that's been very, very shoddily and cheaply made, and you maintain it well, and you uh, tend to every single of its needs, it will be all right. There'll be no problems. If you uh, neglect such a boat, then there will be several problems. If you neglect a well-built boat and a less used boat, a private vessel in theory, then the private vessel will still remain overall a well-maintained his, uh, a boat that has been generally loved, not used for business purposes, if you know what I mean. Right. So in the end, this, this guy he ended up buying a uh, slightly bigger Moody for uh, the same money as the Bavaria he was looking at, but he bought a yacht which was privately used, which was loved throughout all its life. It, it was a much older boat than the Bavaria, but he would he felt like it was much newer, if you know what I mean. Right. Hey, Alex, uh, do you have a headset by chance? Because I, I can hear a lot of reverb in the background. Uh, do you? I'm using my headset. <laughs> uh, you are using a headset? Yes. Okay. I guess this is as good as it's going to get then today. All right. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you a little bit about uh, a lot of my audience are are from the United States and they think of sailing across the Atlantic and Jack and I were talking the other day and he said, you know, it makes more sense for me to go over and buy a boat in the Mediterranean and sail it there versus buying a boat here, here and sailing it over. Talk to me about um, the process and how somebody would go about, about buy, finding the boats that are available for sale in the Mediterranean and how they would best schedule a trip over to look at the boats? Well, usually you'd have to think of which country you want to buy from because you don't want to be spending uh, a good 10% of the budget you have in mind to buy the boat traveling around the world seeing what you're going to get. So uh, there are usually two choices when you're buying a sailing boat around Europe. You either buy from Greece or you buy from Croatia. This is the biggest inventories that you can find because there's former charter vessels. There's a lot of private vessels. Both countries have a big bulk of boats to see and a big bulk of boats to choose from. So you'll have the advantage of a wide, of a wide variety. But both countries have advantages and disadvantages. In Greece, you'll have uh, good prices, again, a wide variety. But the main advantage of Greece will be you'll have great costs for maintaining your boat or changing anything on board. The anti-fouling will be cheap. The, uh, if you want to change your sails, that will be cheap. Changing the bimini of spray hood will be cheap. Servicing will be cheap. In general, whatever you want to do on board your boat in Greece will be much more affordable than anything else around Europe. Then, but you have the disadvantages in Greece, which uh, since you've told me you've been quite around, you've definitely heard of our internationally known bureaucracy. <laughs> yes. Uh, which, unless you have a brother who works in the Greek public sector, it hasn't been, it hasn't treated you very well. So that's the main disadvantage in Greece. Then you have the uh, Greek xenophobia. This is a Greek-derived word, which basically means the fear of foreigners. It's not exactly a fear. You see, 
Greeks use whenever the I'll, I'll put it uh, in terms of a scenario to you. If uh, I, as an Englishman, for example, go to a uh, tea handyman and start the conversation with hello, he will automatically think in his mind, oh, well, now I can buy a new car since I have a foreigner who I'm serving and I can overcharge as much money as I want. <laughs> yeah. This is usually the case when uh, a foreigner tries to fix something in Greece. Croatia, on the other hand, has on average cheaper boats than Greece, equally as wide variety to Greece. But the main advantage that makes it a, uh, that you would say would be a better choice than Greece would be that there's much easier paperwork in Croatia much more clear, much easier to understand. But then, as, as like Greece, it has certain disadvantages. As I said, Greece has excellent prices in maintaining a vessel. Anti-fouling service, teak, you name it. Greece has the cheapest and the best in Europe, in my opinion, in the Mediterranean. Uh, Croatia has high costs, especially when it comes to teak and something going wrong in an engine. Things get really, really pricey when you reach that uh, when you reach that point. And consequently, consequentially, you have the boats. Most boats you see are not as well maintained as the Greek boats. So both countries are a good choice. Are the, the best choice? The best choices in the Mediterranean to look through to buy a boat, but both countries have a disadvantages and advantages, as I've told you, I think. Okay. Now, years ago, I was sailing and I was on a little island in, um, in, um, in Greece. I'm trying to remember uh -huh. where it was. Um, you know what I think, uh, Alex? I think your, um, your headset, you're probably hearing me okay, but I don't think your, your microphone is is broadcasting because I it sounds like your headset may be plugged in, but you're not uh, talking through the microphone. Let me try and get the microphone closer. See, no, it, it's connected to the um, the adjust uh, the adjusting for the uh, yeah. for the sound. I'll move that a little bit closer. Is it better now? It it. Uh, it's not really any better. What I think you've got is I think you're, you've got your settings set so that it's not going through your microphone. It's going through the microphone on your computer. Do you have a laptop computer? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, let's see. But, uh, I'm, using, I'm, using my, uh, I'm using my landline internet through my phone at the moment. You want me to connect to my computer? Landline? My phone. Usually my phone has better, uh, better audio than my computer. Oh. Okay. No, let's just go ahead and continue on. So let me let me start my question over then. So I'm trying to think of where it was. I'm trying to think of the island. Um, Trizonia, that's what it was. Okay. Let me start. Trizonia. That. Yeah, okay. So, so Peter, actually, let's start that over here. So Alex, a few years ago, actually quite a few years ago, I was sailing my boat uh, and I was stopping on the island of Trizonia. And right next to me was a big boat. And it w was being sailed by uh, the wife and friends of Peter Blake, the New Zealand sailor that was killed in the Amazon years ago, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and they were taking his boat to uh, Palma, Mallorca to be sold. 
And is that another location in the Mediterranean where a lot of exchanges take place? Because I was surprised that that seemed to be where they were going to to sell the boat. Either that or they had a buyer that was going to meet them there, and I don't know for sure. That was before 2008, definitely. Right, that was. Mm -hmm. Well, 2008, before 2008, both Greece and Spain had uh, a massive explosion in terms of their economies. So you had uh, everyone buying boats, both in Greece and Spain. That's probably why they were moving the boat to Mallorca. Probably some Spanish gentleman wanted to keep his boat in Mallorca, and uh, that's why. There was, the Spanish market used to be massive in importing boats to Spain. Okay, okay. So if somebody contacts you and said, okay, I'm looking for a specific boat that they might have found on, the web, on a website somewhere, and you're representing that boat, mm-hmm. um, what would be the process of, of um, negotiating the boat? And are there certain times of the year, because Jack and I were talking about this uh, on the phone, that you want to be looking for a boat? Well, uh, most of the action goes around mid-April. Okay, you're breaking up again. Hold on. Most, can you hear me now? Okay, start over. So start with most of the action. Most of the action goes on between uh, 15th April, mid-April and mid-May. Okay, so early early in the season then. Early in the season, yes. If you want to buy a cheap charter boat and you want to really, really negotiate on your charter boat, my recommendation would be to buy a boat to... uh, to provide a deposit on a boat before the season and arrange an after-season delivery. That can give you up to 10 to 20% discount on what you're buying. Okay. Can you give us uh, some specific boats and what they've been selling for so we have just a, a general idea of the values of boats that you're talking about? Just give us the year, the type, and and the rough price that, that they've been selling for. So we have a general idea of, of what, you know, what they're available for. Well, we just sold a uh, privately used, privately owned, V18 ounce paid Beneteau 411 Clipper in immaculate shape. Very, very nice boat. It's never changed its sails. It's never changed its spray hood. It's never changed its bimini. And even though those have never been changed, they were in very good shape since the boat was hardly used. And that went for 57,000 euros. Then, this is a privately owned vessel, by the way. You Mm -hmm. can get the same vessel, battered up, chartered in Croatia for around 50. But to get it in the shape that the other boat, that the boat we sold is, you'd have to add a little bit of money to uh, make them pretty much equal. Then we sold a uh, Bavaria 42, 2001, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a couple of weeks ago. That was sold for 53,000 euros. Now, was that that VAT paid? That was VAT not paid, no. All charter books are usually VAT not paid. Okay. But the advantage with the 42 was it belonged to a very big charter company. And very big charger companies usually have permanent engineers on board uh, in the, to survey all their boats, to keep them all in a good shape. When you're buying a charter boat, the best idea... 
Okay, you broke. You're broke. Broke up. Broke up again. Stone. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. S start at when you bought a charter boat again. When you buy a charter boat, you should mostly look at boats that are belonging to larger charter companies. They usually have an in-house maintenance team. So the boat will pretty much be in tip-top shape for a charter boat. Now, are all these boats listed on a website somewhere, or is it uh, you know, basically through the grapevine you find out about these boats? Most of the boats are listed on Yacht World, but the real gems, the boats that I can really say I uh, felt sorry when I sold because I didn't buy them myself, were not listed. I mean, usually some, a client would call me and tell me, well, I'm interested in this Bavaria 42, and I'm interested in this Bavaria 40, and this Beneteau 411 you have available. Can I come and view them in Greece? So we would pick him up in the airport, we would take him to the marinas to see the boats, and suddenly throughout the trip, this other privately used Janos and Odyssey 40 would show up, and that would be the boat he would end up with. I mean, usually the best boats show up spontaneously. Okay. It's not something you're going to find online. You either have to have a broker you trust in the country where the boat is based, or just spontaneously, again. Now, in Greece, when they fly into Greece, I guess it's the marinas around Athens you're talking about. Which marinas do you typically have these boats at, or, or are they located in other places other than the area right around uh, Athens? The 90% uh, of boats that are listed online, they are charter boats in Greece. So, uh, on average, these boats are located in the Alimos area of Athens and in the same marina, the Alimos marina. If you're looking at privately owned vessels, they're usually not in the Alimos marina because the Alimos marina is specially created for charter vessels and they have advantages in terms of the berthing costs. So is the Alimos marina the one out by, um, uh, by the Cape, Cape So Union? No, that's a bit. That's the Lavrio Marina. Okay. That's also a charter marina, but again, the uh, Alimos Marina is the, the more uh, the more popular. Okay, and where's that one located? Is that in uh, right in Athens? That's under. You uh, arrive at Piraeus Port. There's a Posidonos Avenue, and throughout the Posidonos Avenue, you see different marinas. There's the super yacht marina of Flisbos, which mainly contains. Uh, yachts over 100 feet and after that you see the Alimos Marina. The Alimos Marina is where most of the charter sailing boats are located. Okay, now what about all the, the boats that are in uh, uh, Corfu and on the Ionian side? Do they bring them through to those marinas to sell or, or would people need to fly to those marinas to see those boats? During the winter time, it's more convenient for many of these boats to be brought to Athens. Okay. Much cheaper. They usually have their own technicians. However, a uh, significant percentage, 20% of the boats uh, in uh, the Lefkas and Ionian area are berthed in Actio. Actio region can be accessed through the uh, train to Patras, and then usually the, the owner of the charter company would be willing to pick you up from Patras to take you to the vessel. 
Okay, is that the one on the north side, that fairly new marina up by, uh, oh, what's the name of the town? Megalin, Mega something or other? Um, where, Megara, Megara, I think, yes. Yeah, where Lord Byron died? Yeah, yeah, that's close, close by to Lord Byron. Okay, because I went into that when it was being built years ago, and it mm-hmm. was just, it was free to birth at that time because it was just under construction. So that, that marina is now finished then. That marina is now finished, yes. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it's quite an impressive pro- project. It was quite an impressive project. Although it went through uh, quite a lot of f- funny processes to be built. For example, it was uh, demolished so that the locals can't tie their boats up and then reconstruct it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of funny stories like that in Greece. I'm sure whoever's traveling or buying a boat in Greece will uh, laugh quite a lot in the local stories. So I guess if they picked you up in Patra, you're going to go across a big bridge. Is that right? To get to get there then? Yes, definitely. This is the Rio Andirio Bridge. Okay. The one where the last time I sailed through there, there were about uh, uh, about 10 ferries going back and forth across the same route as the bridge then. And nothing is moderated. I mean, the, the port authority won't help you at all there. You're just uh, on your own. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So let's talk about VAT paid versus VAT not paid. So an American coming over there, buying a boat, uh, if he buys it from a charter company, it's going to be VAT not paid. And this is one of my areas that that nobody seems to understand very well. Can you enlighten us a little bit about VAT? I can, yes. It's it's, uh, quite easy to understand. A VAT paid vessel is a vessel that has permission to function Privately, I mean, automatically, I'm sure that all the American, uh, your American audience would be interested in buying them for private uses, their, their vessels. So uh, in that case, automatically from the moment they buy it from the uh, charter company and they transfer it to their name, it's a private title. When it's on a private title, directly you have the VAT not paid status branded on you, allowing you a permission of a certain amount of months or uh, sometimes depending on the mood of the port authority officer days on how long you can stay in the country or if your VAT is paid you're basically free to go around the EU as you please it doesn't vary according to flag or uh, anything of the sort it's just the local VAT the EU VAT right so if an American comes in and buys a non-VAT uh, boat and then has it reflagged as a as a Delaware boat or an American boat, and mm-hmm. they're two different registrations. Uh, is the eighteen month rule apply for them? Now that that again depends on the mood of the gentleman you discussed with in the port authority. He might bring up a book with a bunch of Greek rules that says it doesn't, doesn't apply. Uh, however, on average. Around Europe, you have access to the IT certificate, which gives you six, which gives you 18 months all around. Now, in Greece, although we are European Union, we don't seem to recognize that. So, usually, the solicitor who will do the transfer of the vessel to your name will also undertake to create a certificate of registration in Greek waters, sort of. This is. There's not an exact name for it, but basically it gives you six months of remaining in Greek waters, which is renewable three times. So basically 18 months. 
However, Greece being as it is, you won't be sure to have that six months renewed. <laughs> so uh, it's a tricky process, but you'll definitely have six months in the country. Now, the 18 months in Greece is not guaranteed. Again, it's on uh, what sort of port authority official you fall on. But all around Europe, you can have an 18-month uh, stay in the country with, a, with the IT certificate. Okay. Now, you say it's renewed every six, six months, and that's something that I wasn't aware of. Uh, now, over for the last 10 years or, or thereabouts, I've, sailed, I've kept my boat in Turkey specifically for the VAT issue for that mm -hmm. reason. And also, years ago, I had my boat in Cleopatra Marina in Previsa for the winter. And, mm -hmm. um, and I came back, and I put it in the water. And just getting it back in the water was a real pain because the, uh, uh, the customs people gave me a headache. And, and, and fortunately, the marina manager basically went over and talked to him and said, okay, you know, give, you know, give him his cruising log. Give him, give him his cruising so I finally got that. And then I put the boat in the water and continued to sail over to Kosh and was clearing out of Kosh to go over to Bodrum. And lo and behold, as soon as I tried to clear out, they said, oh, you've been in the country more than six months and then hit me with a big tax. And they showed me all these rules and regulations in Greek that I'd never heard about before. And, um, and for that reason, I, won't, <laughs> I will not leave my boat in Greece, period, end of story. Um, because of the... Uh, the very opaque nature of the rules and regulations, it seems like. So, Definitely. Yeah. So uh, what is the process of actually, if, if somebody comes over there and says, okay, I want to buy a boat and I want to pay VAT on the boat, um, how do they value the, the boat? Usually, again, as, as you've understood, Greece has very opaque laws. But usually, it's a value on the insurance. It's something between the insurance value of the boat and what's stated on the bill of sale. The bill of sale itself only is never taken into uh, consideration, just the bill of sale. You usually have the boat insured or a previous insurance bill, which states the total loss value of the boat. And uh, the, a government official usually takes into uh, consideration both what the bill of sale states, what he sees on Yacht World as a purchase price fair to that boat, and what was the, the previous insurance value for the vessel. Okay. Now, is there a way of, of getting a bid on your VAT and then deciding if you want to pay VAT or not? Can you rephrase the question, please? Say, for instance, I say, I, like I've been in Europe for oh, 10 years, 15 years now, and in the mm -hmm. Mediterranean, but I haven't paid VAT. But I, I keep thinking one of these days I'll go ahead and pay VAT on my boat. Mm -hmm. I, I hear that different uh, countries have different valuations they'll put on a boat. Um, and and it's, it, is it possible to say, okay, I'm going to get a bid from paying VAT in Greece versus paying VAT in Malta versus paying VAT in Spain. Do you know what I'm saying? Because there's a you mean there's a different VAT rate varying to country and which VAT rate would be most convenient to you? Well, it's not just that. It's the fact that uh, the, the value of the boat is sort of arbitrary depending on the country. I, it again, it depends on what you have. Going back to what I said before, 
It depends on uh, what the bulk was insured for before and the bill of sale. It, it doesn't. I wouldn't say it varies on the country. The, the, the uh, value of the VAT you pay will, will vary on the country. And how efficiently and how long it will take to get that VAT paid it will depend on the country. For example, if you do it in Greece or Italy, it might take a bit more time than any other country. Uh, doing it in France is the most efficient for me. Uh, but I wouldn't say there's a big difference to, from country to country, except the odd two or three percent difference. Okay, okay. So you haven't seen that that uh, the v- different valuations in the country that much. So, so insurance certificate is a big one, and then uh, how much the the bill of sale? Now, my bill of sale would be 1985. So. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just that, thinking that of my would book. Then, that would then follow to your most recent evaluation of the book by your insurance. I see. Okay. And they would look at that. Okay. So it's always whatever documents you have with a solid figure of what you bought the boat for or what the boat is worth, those would be taken into, uh, they would be taken into consideration by the local authority and they would then bring and come back with a VAT figure. It will all be, always be nice for somebody considering the VAT to get a quote about, about how much it would cost to apply for it before he actually decides, well, I want to do it in Greece, for example. Okay, so you can do that. That was, what, that was one of the questions I was trying to, to ask. Is it possible to get a bid on what the VAT is going to cost? So there is a way to do that then. You can go to a, you can go to certain customs officers and they can give you a bid on what the VAT would cost. Yes. Okay. Okay. For a certain figure, but they would, and it, it's a good idea. I think it's it would give you a very good idea of what you would pay, what the value would come down to. Uh, but I think that it's a must when you're considering to uh, pay VAT. Okay. So in in Athens, are there specific customs officers that will do that for you then, or is there a specific office that does that? There are different offices, not not only one office, but okay. uh, there are several people who can do that for you. Okay, okay. Well, that would be helpful. They help- won't give it to you to the cent, but they'll give you a rough. I wouldn't say rough to the thousand. To the thousand. I mean, if they tell you it's uh, your VAT will be thirty-seven thousand euros, for example, then your VAT might be thirty-eight or thirty-six. Okay. It's not an exact, exact figure, but it will give you roughly how much it will cost. Okay. Now, I know there was a specific year that before those years there was no VAT owed on older boats. Does that change, or or does it not matter how old the boats are anymore for paying VAT? Today, unfortunately, it doesn't matter. Right? Age doesn't matter. Okay. They, they, uh, they make a hassle of it sometimes if you try to do it, but... Most most uh, Greek authorities won't accept any exclusions due to age. Okay, so uh, let's say an American comes over, buys a boat, has six months in Greece, um, does what I did, takes it uh, and puts it in on on the hard, uh, basically in what I used to call customs bond, and then comes mm-hmm. back uh, at the end of the uh, next year, uh, but he's only actually been sailing for two months. Uh, but his boat's been on the hard for more than six months. When you say you have to renew those six months uh, of VAT, is that automatically done if a boat's uh, in dry dock, or does that have to be done separate from from the boat being in dry dock? The the first 
the first presence of the boat in Greece as a private foreign owner is when a boat has its deletion done. Now, when a boat has its deletion done, from then on, the date of deletion, you have six months. I don't know if I, I think I might not have answered your question. Did I manage to answer your question? Uh, yeah, you said you had six months, but in Europe in general, not in Greece, but in Europe in general, you said you can get up to six, 18 months, but in six-month increments. And how do you renew those six-month increments, I guess, is, is my question. What we do, what my company personally does, because Greece, as you know, is very complicated bureaucratically, we have a certain company arrange that for us, and they know the strings which, are, which should be pulled in the uh, Greek Coast Guard and the Greek Customs. And uh, so they basically renew the contract, the, the six-month permit, for, uh, I think it's, it's roughly 300 euros per time. Okay, okay. So in Greece, uh, you have a firm that does that for you. Do you have for, uh, firms that do it for you and other... Because your, your company is throughout the Mediterranean. You have offices uh, other than Athens, correct? Definitely, definitely. We have, we have uh, in Spain, we have a company that does that for us. And the company that does it for us in Spain also does it for us in France. We have uh, the Croatian office that we work with and is also our agent in uh, Croatia. Also have a company which does that for them in Croatia and Italy. I mean, wherever you buy a boat from us, you will have that provision. Plus, if you buy a boat from uh, Greece or Spain, you will have two months management, which will basically make us your, your agents for free in Greece. We'll represent you in all the public affairs. We'll take care of all of the documentation that can be taken care of free of charge. We, we basically, as, as, it, as it's self-explanatory, manage the boat for you for two months. Okay, okay. So I imagine that there's um, a little bit of trepidation of somebody in America saying, I'm going to look at a boat in Europe and uh, limit it down to a few boats. Do you often have American customers that come over and take a look at boats? Have you dealt with Americans a lot? Very often. Very often, usually retired couples who want to come in Greece uh, to buy a boat from Greece due to the price, or Croatia, the same thing due to the price, and uh, cruise around the Met, possibly across, across the Atlantic. It's very, very common. Okay, all right. Um, so, does your company have a web presence? We have uh, everything we, we, almost everything we represent, we like to keep up to date on Yacht World. I uh, am personally 24-7 available on my email, whatever client's question has, whatever, uh, whatever question a client has, anything a client needs, you can find me either on email or on uh, Skype. We prefer we prefer to keep everything on Yacht World because you would have a comparison to other prices. I mean, keeping an individual website would restrict what you see to our our website, our selection. However, our yachts seem truly competitive when you compare them to what else is out in the market. Because usually, or as much as possible, as much as we possibly can, we evaluate a yacht before we 
place it in our inventory. So we, you'll never have a yacht in our inventory which will be overpriced. You'll never have a yacht in our inventory which condition wouldn't match its price. As, as you can see from the prices I stated before. I mean, when you're buying a charter yacht, you would pay for a charter yacht's price. Or when you're buying a private yacht, which has been well taken care of for all of its life, you'll also pay for a private yacht's price. I imagine the big difference between a private yacht and a charter yacht, if you can get the same quality vessel, is you might get a, a private yacht um, maybe a little cheaper if you factor in the VAT. Would that be a, a reasonable um, scenario? Mm, roughly, roughly private yachts in Greece, mostly private yachts, are not necessarily VAT paid. Really? Yes, because the convenience was when you would buy your private yacht, you would state it was on a charter company and you would buy it much cheaper. And then you would have your accountant do some smart uh, business on how much the yacht has been chartered through the seasons. Iconical. These are called iconical charters, which basically are charters that are not really there, but will just help you not to have the VAT paid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you understand this, and I understand. I mean, you, you've been to Greece, and you know Greek bureaucracies. <laughs> a, a VAT not paid boat isn't necessarily a charter boat. Okay, all right. <laughs> That's a clever way of getting around it, I guess. So. Definitely, definitely. Greeks have very clever ways, which uh, eventually turned out to be stupid. Initially, they start to be a clever way. <laughs> all right. Okay, Alex, anything else you'd like to add that we should um, inform? Well, let, let me ask you one other question. If somebody came over, let's say, tomorrow, how many boats would they have available to look at in the Athens area that are for sale? I mean, is there a big, a big uh, inventory of boats that are for sale right now? At this very moment, in our charter inventory, we have in Athens, in Athens port, in the Alimos and Lavrion Marina, we have 47 vessels, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And what, what, what lengths do they range from? Now, these are all sailboats. Is that correct? Yes, definitely. Okay. Our smallest in the inventory at the moment is a Beneteau 321, and our largest is a custom-made Swedish yacht at 75 feet. So it's, it's a massive uh, range, but... On average, you're looking to 40 to 50 foot boats. Okay, the typical charter boats then. Mm-hmm. All right. Definitely. All right, I want to ask you about your sailing experience. Are you a sailor as well, Alex? I uh, used to be in the Greek national team. Oh, okay. Laser class. Uh, then after an injury, I completely uh, got scared of even looking at a sailing boat. <laughs> <laughs> But after a few years of convincing and uh, yacht brokerage, I am uh, in love with sailing again, as all sailors are. <laughs> Do you get an opportunity to, to get out and go sailing very often? I, I usually sail on the islands. I, my sailing boat at the moment is a Westerly Conway 36, 1986. And um, I sail around with the Conway whenever I get the chance. Having a sailing boat requires the the time recent years i haven't had the time 
But uh, as much as I can, I really, really like sail. And one of my dreams would be to uh, to do the the um, very I would I would say courageous voyage of crossing the Atlantic. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, Alex, thank you so much for your time. Do you have any other things that we need to cover, or I'll put your contact information in in the website. Go ahead and just give the contact information and any other information that we should have, and then we'll call it an interview, okay? If you like, before we close, I can walk you through the beginning to the end of the purchase procedure of the boat in Greece. Ah, good idea. Let's go ahead and do that. I think that would be a help. So say you arrive in Greece tomorrow to view some boats from me. Arriving in Greece, I will take you from the airport and show you certain vessels that you have chosen. Once you select which of these boats you like, obviously upon the criteria, looking at the boats, whatever appeals to you, you have the choice to get a survey, which we severely recommend. Uh, a surveyor would add to your peace of mind and definitely would add to the resale value of the boat. So you would have the boat, you would have a survey done Surveys usually range between five, 500 to 2,000 euros. Start, I would arrange, I would uh, prefer a, uh, as a buyer, I would prefer a 750 to 1,000 euro survey, which usually covers everything pretty much, including the sea trial. So once you've, once you've uh, had your survey and you're, you're fine with the boat's condition, you move on to the, uh, Negotiation. Now, negotiation all depends on many things. It depends if the boat is private or charter. Charter don't usually negotiate too much unless the boat is scheduled to be delivered after season, where you have a big advantage and you can negotiate quite a lot. Now, when it's a private boat, you provide certain negotiations, providing that the boat is in a good condition before the sea trial. If the sea trial if you proceed with the sea trial, usually after the deposit, and the condition isn't as warranted before, then you renegotiate. So going back to uh, after your survey, you, you uh, agree on a price. We create a purchase and sale agreement, which is in theory your MOA. Our purchase and sale agreement, our our purchase and sale agreement. Now, the general purchase and sale agreement, I doubt, includes this, but our purchase and sale, sale agreement has the, uh, the advantage that we provide a no encumbrances clause. So the owner of the boat, by signing the document, the purchase and sale agreement, warrants that the boat has no encumbrances upon delivery, which is a massive advantage. And in the case of VAT, he will also warrant that if the VAT turns out not to be paid, and he stated that the VAT is paid, he will, from his own personal pocket, deposit any amount which is in due for the VAT. Also included in our contract is any, any, any due whatsoever before the date of deletion of the vessel will be on the back of the, of the previous owner of the boat. This isn't included in most purchase sale agreements. I doubt especially in Croatia, you'll find it. You won't find it. In Greece, some companies have it, some companies don't have it. I think that it, it, it brings a great peace of mind to both the buyer and the seller to be covered in their purchase and sale agreement. So once the purchase and sale agreement 
is uh, signed, we basically move on to a deposit of 10 to 15 percent. This value varies depending on the boat. This gives the um, this gives the seller and the buyer the, the seller and the buyer basically roughly 10 days for the deposit to be to be placed. Once the deposit is placed, what we can do is because on average a Greek a Greek deregistration of a boat, so deletion of the registry and uh, bill of sale would take around a month to be finished. So what we would do in that process would be we would create a charter document stating that the, uh, the buyer of the boat is chartering the boat. So in the meantime, if it's an American buyer, he won't need to travel back to the States or to find accommodation in Greece for a month while the paperwork is being done. He can stay on the boat because the boat will be in theory chartered to him. So once that's finished, or actually throughout the process before that's finished, the uh, buyer of the vessel will obviously take care of the relative registration documentation. He'll receive the bill of sale before he receives a deletion, and the deletion will be received afterwards. Usually with Delaware, we can make an arrangement in which we provide the bill of sale, they uh, set up the basics, and then we give them the deletion once received to speed up the whole process. And from then on, well, the boat is pretty much owned by uh, its new owner. Okay. So you mentioned Delaware. Let me go into that a little bit. So you're, you're, uh, you're basically doing state registration in the United States instead of U.S. documentation in the United States then? Yes. That's, the, that's what uh, Delaware recommends. No, yeah, because they're the state. <laughs> they make money off of it. That's right. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because most of these vessels, I assume, are probably uh, made in Europe, like the Benetos, the Jonos, and so forth. They're, they're European manufactured charter vessels, correct? If not all of them, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think the rules are to be U.S. documented, you has to be made in the United States. So that's why they wouldn't be able to be documented in the United States. That's why you would have the state documentation, yeah. Right. Okay. Good. Well, thank you very much, Alex. I'm going to put your contact information in the show notes, and uh, perhaps you'll get a few phone calls from some of my listeners. No problem. It was my pleasure. All right. Keep in touch, all right? Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Joe, do you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You made me very proud. I was just thinking. 
where we might be 10 years from now, you know? <laughs>